Hello, and welcome to Confidently Wrong, a show by regular dudes talking with confidence about content we have no right to speak about with any kind of authority, but do it anyway. I'm Wesley Nakamura, and tonight I'm joined by Battlefield Mike Smith and award-winning director Brian Redondo. Savan is out on injured reserve tonight, but should be back in time for the next one. This is episode 44, and we sandwalk our way through the unforgiving deserts of Arrakis as we traverse the large and small details of the latest Dune movie. I'm confident that it's going to be the best show you've ever listened to, and well, hey, if it's not, you can always ask us for a refund. Good times. So, it's the three of us. We don't have Savan. He's out at a Dungeons and Dragons night. He told us, hey, I do this every Wednesday. And we, I think, lambasted him. Lambasted him. Lambasted. Uh, I a think little you bit. were the one that did that. I yeah, did start yeah, it off. Yeah. Um, but not really. I mean, I was more curious. But he's playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I told the guys, actually, I don't really understand what Dungeons and Dragons is. Why does everyone make fun of it? Like, it's all a part of, um, what's the Big Bang Theory? Like, they make fun of Dungeons & Dragons uh, in a loving way. Would I like it? it? What is this thing? I thought, it seems kind of boring to me. Mike, you seem to have some experience with it. Brian, you're a board game person. I figure you've had some contact with it. What, what is going on with this Dungeons & Dragons? Explain it Can I me. Can I explain Savan and Dungeons & Dragons before? <laughs> is that a separate um, thing? I have a theory that about a that as well. Thing. Why are you so out of focus also? You look Me? Like, yeah, oh, I, I feel like know. I'm this, drunk. This computer's freaking out. It's okay. I feel <laughs> okay. a little drunk on, on account of my booster shot. I'm wearing beer but, goggles. You look yeah. much cuter. It's reflecting his physical state at the moment. <laughs> okay. It's just a blur. <laughs> it's kind of the vibe. Anyway, when I met Savon, oh, I mean, no, let's say this. One of my favorite things about Savon is there's no bullshit to Savon. None. I'm sorry. We made it like Cursing. two minutes before. Bleep. All right. It's true though. When Savon like is committed to something, Savon is a hundred percent committed to it. When I met Savon, you know, three years ago when we were both starting out at our last job, he was playing D and D. He was committed to it. The man is still committed to it. So tonight he has his D and D time on Wednesdays. He's doing it via Zoom, and you know oh, he's doing he it got via a, Zoom. Yeah, which like is oh. to make a boring thing even more boring, but. <laughs> But I no, you just got to say you. I you know, Savon's listening to this. Respect the commitment, the man. Like he's blocked out his time in his life for D and D, and he's doing that. So as much as I don't like D and D, I fully respect his commitment to it. I would also just love to watch Savon play D and D. Like maybe when you get an idea of what it is, Wesley, you'll have like images of the way Savon could go. But like what type of character is he? Like what's the vibe? I'm imagining like a silk purple robe like magician type of guy. But You mean Merlin? Who knows? He's dressed as Merlin. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He's like got maybe stars but, but, on but his like sleeves. with a little more swag. Like Merlin with drip might be what I'd imagine Savon his character but maybe i'm completely wrong like there are some guys who like love playing D D as like a very dainty like woman character or things like that which you know not that there's anything wrong with that but you know there's a lot of different ways it can go and i'm excited to hear more for savon based on his apex was. playing style i'd imagine it's not the uh the dainty lady uh you know but it's very different than video games brian do you okay. understand D D as like a board game guy enough to explain it Sure, sure. Uh, I've I've actually even sort of played a few rounds of D anD D over Zoom as well. Is that like I, you sort of cross dressed? Like you're just <clears throat> dabbling? Like what is? What do you mean by I've sort of played? I, I've sort <laughs> of been kicked out of places for doing inappropriate things. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, so <laughs> I I have a cousin. Shout out to my cousin Christina, friend Sup, Christina? of the show. Actually, hey. I don't even know if she listens anymore. But whatever. She is also a dedicated, hardcore uh, game master for Dungeons and Dragons. So she plays. She plays regularly, and we did sort of like a cousins D and D session over over Zoom. Um, but it, it requires so much commitment, and you know, I'm I'm notoriously anti commitment. <laughs> that this is his I really just couldn't feature in focus. college, Mike. His defining um, feature. And college has lasted nearly 40 years for me. So <laughs> You're a maybe uh, guy, Brian? 
<laughs> you don't say. No, he just wants to see if something better is going to come along. That was his whole. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Dungeons and Dragons has been around for a very, very long time. So the prospect of something better coming along and actually existing is quite high at this point. <laughs> <laughs> So, it, you know, it's a, it's a role-playing game, right? And so if you think about classic video games that of the role-playing genre, Skyrim and, and Zelda and, and stuff like that, same, same types of characters, but you're doing this on, on paper and pencil, and lots of it is happening in your imagination. Every player in, in the game has, like, their own character. They're, like, an elf or a swordsman or a mage, whatever, and they get into scenarios, which are basically in dungeons. They do dungeon crawls. And the game master is the one who is deciding what kind of parameters those dungeons have and what the story is that's intrinsic to that dungeon. And so each each character, you know, they, they basically do a series of skill tests, the same that you would do in a turn-based RPG game, right? Or like Final Fantasy. So combat skill test, agility skill test, uh, intelligence skill test to pass different challenges that come up in that dungeon. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of up to the players and the game master to figure out the story that's happening around those interactions, right? So you're you're rolling die, you're trying to pass these skill tests, but then you're also talking through a narrative like, oh, my character used their bow and arrow that was dipped in in magical orc blood to fire it <laughs> off at this fireling. And they burst into flames, but then the, the flames created tiny little firelings, and now we all have to face them, right? It's it's is that kind of level of imagination. You're you're giving all the flavor text. Um, the game doesn't give it to you. You're putting it into it. And I think it's that aspect that people have fallen in love with. You know, they just love this idea of of kind of cosplaying in their minds and creating a story together. And so, given that, I could imagine that our friend Savon, Captain Vani, in his purple robe <laughs> as like a level twelve mage uh, that can morph into different animals or something like that is just having a great old time role-playing, making up weird voices, doing some cool mage stuff and, and just killing it uh, on the D and D on the, on the D and D level, you know, I, I could see that happening. However, I, Oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Go, I was just going to say, like, on the opposite end of that spectrum, that's why Wesley would hate it. <laughs> like, Savon finds joy in the spaces in between, right? Like, games and movies and shows, yeah. like, the depth to it is really what he's about. You, my is friend, depth, like, if the is game is not really literally, likes? if it's not dragging you through the game, like, fully telling you what to do, damn near, like, how to feel about a certain thing, you're like, this had no structure. I couldn't do it. I was not interested. So it's, it's like, like lazy game making to me. Well, that's the thing. In D and D, there's almost no game making. There's like no structure. So okay, it's wait, like, wait. That was my question. So it sounds so it sounds like the dungeon master kind of sets up the scenario. Yeah. How much of then, this is like improv though? Like all much... of it. It's improv. That's the whole thing. Like if you're not into <laughs> acting but... and playing the character and like making, so it's just like you're essentially dropped into this world with an endpoint, right? Like get to the end of this dungeon. Then you get to do whatever you want. Like the game master knows what's going to happen, kind of like if there's orcs in the next room or things like that. But you could do genuinely whatever you want. And it just comes down to essentially dice rolls to prove if like what you want to do works or not. So it's like, how do the dice rolls work? Because it's a 20 sided die. I know that. Because that's a big well, thing. There's well, there's different types, types of, of die. Yeah, go ahead, oh, Brian. goodness. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's different types of die. You have different like statistics for your characters. And all of those things are governed by some some rule system that exists within the Dungeons & Dragons world or whatever role-playing game you're playing. They, they all kind of like adhere to different things and, and they have set qualities that exist or set attributes that exist in that universe. And then so you have to design your character according to those, those kind of metrics. Do you and know when you start a game, way. Wes, and you have to like allot a certain number of points to your character? Okay, yeah. You do that in D&D. So it's like, I want to put all my points in So it's in like NBA, my career, you're making my player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But what that works out is like, okay, you and your gang are trying to get into this uh, <laughs> cave. Like, but the, Do you know the setup ahead of time? 
Yeah, the dungeon master lays the scene for you. They're okay. kind of like God. Like they kind of like see right. what's happening. But what's to stop them from being like, nope, that attack didn't work. There the isn't. Orc- <laughs> well, well, like there's, there's the their is job is to make it fun. With a gold shield yeah. And well, their job fireworks. is to make it fun, right? Like not allow you. It, that's where it comes down to like game making. So what I'll say is, I make fun of D and D, but like being a dungeon master is really hard, and but it can be really frustrating. Like let me tell you a real quick story about my D and D experience. <laughs> the you Mike know the tried dummy to make I his am, character like a. Jewish rabbi that could like bless the whole thing and make everything go to heaven and like we're all good. We we finish the game. You tried to o- OP your character. Why did it have to be a rabbi? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, on, your, that's your brand. This that's man lives in Mike. Texas for like a year that's and anti Semitism comes. All right, just quick story. So I played. I think D&D I was celebrating with... the Jewish culture there, I think, is what was happening. I, I'm not so sure about I that. love the Jews. <laughs> My best Wesley friend is a friend of the Jews. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I was playing D&D. So our friend Max, like it was a bunch of our first times playing and he was like, all right, I really want us to get into this. I'm going to come up with this really great story. So we were on our first session. He was like, this is going to be the first of like 10 or so like sessions. Like they're each like three or four hours. Sessions? It's hour, like inf- like so much time, dude. It's crazy, which is why it didn't really work for me. Yeah. So it's like, I'm only in it for the fighting, you know, like the combat <laughs> part of it. Everybody's Surprise. like talking and say, acting yeah. and stuff. I know. And it was just like, so that's why it's not for me. So it was like, oh, can I just like attack the guy? Can we just get to the fighting? Like, you don't need to like do all this talking. It's so much talking, which is fine if you're into that. Yeah. But <clears throat> anyway, so we get to the end of like the first dungeon and like we come into like contact with like this big character and the DM is like, this is like, tries to like trump him up, make him feel like that this is a big character. And we're like, okay, well, I, we want to fight this guy. And he's like, what? We're like, can we fight him? And we ended up fighting him and we ended up killing him because that's how the game works. You can just fight stuff. But he was like, this was supposed to be the main character throughout this entire like 10 day journey and you just killed it. <laughs> so the story was ruined. <laughs> so that's a good example of the beauty and pain of D&D where it's like literally anything can happen, but that means like anything can happen. <laughs> so your lasting memento from your D&D play is just a vial of his tears. Yeah, it's just like breaking the game that my poor friend had spent so much time trying to make fun for us. And we were just like, Herder, I want to kill a thing. <laughs> yeah, and that was exactly my issue with the game too, right? Like it's so dependent on who you're playing with and how yeah. they decide to play. And so, you know, my my cousins are like taking it seriously and whatever. And I wanted to say the silliest about yeah, but if my characters the vibe, and what yeah. they were doing and nobody was trying to laugh about <laughs> trying to attack the orc with a feather. You're like cotton no, candy nobody, spell. Nobody. That guy now has a handful of cotton candy. I'm going to eat it. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, if you roll a 20, like, there it goes. Like, <laughs> there's nothing the DM can do about it, so... <laughs> Um, I so I highly recommend the the episodes of Community where they do play Dungeons and oh, Dragons. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty epic and hilarious and fun. I need to go find it. Okay, and that is not the version of D anD D that you normally get to play with everybody because people aren't childish Gambino <laughs> just on the regular. They're just not. <laughs> Childish Gambino's character is so quality. Troy, amazing. I don't know any of them, and this can be the last thing we say about this. But I don't know any. There's a lot of podcasts of like famous people and comedians playing D and D. I think maybe we'll shout them out on the next show or something. But I believe those are a good entry into it to like see at its best, like when you can be funny and like get a good vibe going, and it becomes you know like improv almost. But like they just record the people playing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Check out this show, Critical Role, and it's got like all the video games best. Uh, voice actors and they're all the ones who are playing the game and so they they come up with really creative stories to go along with their D sessions critical and what? it's critical role and it's it's just like four seasons five seasons of a long running cast of characters that they just evolve over time um super popular mm. uh maybe pretty good never watch it though <laughs> stunning right. endorsement <laughs> We'll find out someday, maybe after I listen to Sergeant Peppers. So now that we've made fun of D&D, we're about to talk about like the nerdiest sci-fi of all time. So it's just like we're ascending to becoming a self-loathing nerd show, which like I'm fine with. I don't actually even think that's true. Dune is, is it, it is dense, but it's not the least accessible type of sci-fi. I think stuff like Asimov is probably even less accessible because it's very much in the science side of it and less less the fiction side of it. But anyways... 
Let's get into it. We're going to talk about the movie Dune, the 2021 version that just released uh, about a week and a half ago. It came out How in you theaters Dune? and HBO Max. Yeah, MF Dune. Here we go. Um, oh so the first part will we be- We Dune it. Oh my God. <laughs> Everybody stop. <laughs> this is what happens when Savon's not around. I yeah. know. Um, can't cut through the noise now the first section is going to be non-spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie yet feel free to listen into this part um, and then we'll switch into spoilers mode um, Mike can you tell us about the premise of Dune and also maybe talk a little bit about Denny Villeneuve who is the uh, the director here yeah so Dune and you know I'll give a one sentence review before I describe it because I think okay. it's going to inform a lot of the way I would describe dune to someone that's like kind of into nerdy sci-fi fantasy stuff i haven't read the book i've i'm reading the book i've only seen the movie dune is the best star wars movie i've ever seen (laughs) um (laughs) it is very similar to star wars star wars was inspired by it Star Wars, from what I'm learning, is is my boy George. Love him to death. He's really stepping on a lot of uh, Frank Herbert's work here. So Dune, it takes place in an advanced future. Um, so not a long time ago, a long time in the future. Um, 10,000 years from now. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be around Earth or not, which is, I guess that's kind of cool because I'm, you know, only midway through the journey. Humanity is spread out over a ton of different planets. Um, there's almost like Game of Thrones. The, ha- the planets are ruled by different houses. So what we follow is House Atreides, who is being sent to the planet of Arrakis, otherwise known as Dune, to start um, taking over a spice mining operation. So the entire galaxy or the s- star system really runs on this stuff called spice, which they can only mine on Arrakis. It's a really brutal planet. Um, it's very hard to live in and they're being sent there for a kind of mysterious reason. So why are they being sent there? What we find out is that is the middle of a really kind of big political controversy. So that's kind of the Game of Thrones aspect of it. It's these different houses competing, the kind of backstabbing, maneuvering to really end up on top. And by on top, it's really just who can make the most money from this big spice trade. What we follow is the son of the Duke of House Atreides, who's being sent to Dune to run that operation. He has these special abilities. It seems like he can almost see the future. He can do some Jedi mind trick stuff. So what the story follows is Paul's ascension um, through that journey of his family, what happens there with that political conflict, and then a whole lot more. I'm only a small way through the book. I've only seen the movie, so I only essentially know what happens to part one, but that is the premise. It is directed by Denny, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Villeneuve, who um, did the most recent Blade Runner movie, which I haven't seen. Amazing. Um, Watch it. I have some going through all of his movies now. I just watched Arrival, which I loved. Great alien movie. He also did Sicario, um, which friend of the show Alan speaks very highly of. Um, A few other movies, Prisoners, um, Enemy. But really, he's really ascended in his past two movies, Dune. And Blade Runner. So that's kind of laying the floor for what is rapidly becoming my favorite sci-fi. Oh, that's glad. I'm glad. Wow, I can't so, believe you're making that bold statement. Yeah. Superseding Star Wars. I, I, I We'll get into it, but how could it not? You know, how could it not? Well, that leads us into the next question. Obviously, we have your answer. So would you recommend this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? This is, again, spoilers free. So if you're deciding, ah, should I take the two and a half hours to watch this movie? What does Mike have to say? What do I have to say about yes. it? Yes, yes, and yes. It okay. is. I, I don't know how you can describe it. And I know I'm a hype beast, so take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> if you're listening to the show, you probably no already are. If you're a friend of mine, you're probably not taking it with anything. All of that to say, it is peak sci-fi. Like, it is just like... Every, if you're really into sci-fi, if you love kind of, and you know the, my favorite buzzword, world building, if you love that, if you love great stories, if you love just like such a thorough world that's been so thought out with a really compelling story in it, all in this really amazing sci-fi future, it is, it is fantastic. Again, the movie is just a very small part of this world, which we'll discuss, but I cannot recommend this enough. 
What I will say, if you go into this expecting kind of a generic action movie, like turn my brain off, haha, that was nice, you're going to be confused and disappointed. But if you really go in like ready to like dive into like the world and really soak it all in, not only is like the story, like everything in the book amazing, but I feel like the film really took it to another level. So I... I don't I I agree, I agree. I think a lot of people would enjoy this. I think people should take the time to see it. I don't think it's going to be for everyone. Um and but I think most people will find something they like about it. The acting is good. There's cool scenes that kind of take place. Um the visuals are just like really beautiful. Um the the cinematography, I mean, I think everybody's gushed about that in the reviews. I think the director did a really good job building in like tension within this like like Mike said this really rich world that feels complex it feels like I I would call it like textured I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right word but it feels yeah. textured um and and the actors just like get to show off their talent and how they like play off of each other their reactions all of that it's not overdone it feels very understated um Brian what are you thinking would you recommend this movie to someone who hasn't seen it I would absolutely recommend this movie even though I'm with you Wes that I don't think it's the I don't actually. I I might be putting words into your mouth. I don't think it's the greatest sci-fi film out there. Sorry, Mike. I do not think film. It's, not film. I think like this core material is the best. Interesting. Interesting. That, that that's a good distinction. I do think though that Dune this this particular this particular iteration of this movie Dune is quite good just like as a movie watching experience you know it's the first thing i think that i've seen on the big screen since the pandemic started that really like made me grateful that i went out to a theater to watch it you know even though i was like in the second row and (laughs) basically lying on my back trying to watch timothy chalamet and you know like 30 feet tall like is that not how you normally watch movies (laughs) Uh, it's not normally how I <laughs> watch Timothy Chalamet. Like directly <laughs> takes in front his shirt of the off, TV. right in yeah. front of it. it. It felt very much like being a kid and like lying <laughs> on the carpet too close to the TV. But I, you know, but even despite that, I was really glad that I went out to a theater and not watch it on HBO Max because it's such a great movie watching experience, right? Everything that Wes said. The the sound design, the cinematography, the Hans Zimmer score, ooh, um, ooh. the just like the grandiose scope of this film, it just felt huge, larger than larger than life, larger than this universe, right? And and that's the kind of spectacle escapist type movies that I just love going to the theater for. And and then on the other side of that, or not even on the other side of that, but in addition to that, you do get the things that Mike mentioned. You get sort of like the Game of Thrones intrigue. You get the Star Wars sci-fi epic. You get the kind of like interesting pseudo sociopolitical commentary of, of movies like Avatar. Um, and, and I think all of that comes into a very neat package and, and a gratifying experience. Now, whether or not the movie and storytelling succeed on their own, that's a different question, but definitely worth watching uh, despite that. And it sounds well, like you would recommend us- it, especially in theaters, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I watched so I it think- at home and had to. I put on headphones the second time to really get more sense of the sound and and how it was. And I th- I think that did make a difference. Not replacing the the theater experience, obviously, but something a little bit closer to that. So now that we're kind of discussing its merits as a movie, can we jump to Albert's question and then come back to the previous one? Um. Yeah. So this will be a little bit spoilersery, um, friends. So. Um, if you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't like the spoilers, now's where you tune out. Go watch the movie on HBO Max or in the theater and then come back to us. So my friend Albert, uh, he lives in Taiwan, but he used to live in California. We kind of grew up together after college. Um, and we were the talking free about nation the of Taiwan. <laughs> you grew up together after college? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you were like an infant in college, so that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm still, I was still maturing like a tree. My friend Albert and I were talking about this movie. <laughs> And he he rated it like a four or five out of ten, and I was pretty surprised. But um, what he was talking about, I, I don't want to like overrepresent what he was saying or, or whatever, misrepresent what he was saying. But one of his biggest beefs with the movie was that he kind of felt cheated by it. He didn't feel like the movie was really marketed as a part one in all of the posters and all of the trailers. It just the movie was called Dune. But the first title card you see about four or five minutes into the movie, there's a quick title card and it says Dune, and then the little tiny print it says Part One. Um, and he said like it kind of felt like a bait and switch. So he's watching this movie and he's expecting it to resolve, 
And in some ways, the movie doesn't resolve. Like, there isn't really a, a, like, a conclusion. There isn't really a resolution to how the movie kind of wraps itself up. Um, it just kind of says, like, there's more to come. And you can tell that, the, you know, like, there should be a part two, uh, which wasn't greenlit until a few days after the release of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Theoretically, or allegedly, you know. I mean. That yes. could have just been amazing marketing because everyone was like, oh, yeah. well, everybody, like, they're only going to make the second if this movie does well. So all, so all of these nerds went out <laughs> to like throw their money, and I was one of them, so don't get me wrong, to throw their money at this massive studio production because, like, God forbid capitalism <laughs> doesn't do its job here. Um, and, you know, he was, <laughs> he, was, he was promised a movie. And he felt like he got like kind of half a movie or he got a full movie, but there's no resolution. It just didn't feel like he really got what he paid for. So my, my question to you guys is like, was this movie the same thing as opening up a PS2 box on Christmas? You undo the wrapping, you open the box, you're really excited only to find out your dad has filled it with books and old magazines and an NFL Europe baseball cap in there. That is a highly specific analogy. I know. That was an what, NFL like, Europe baseball cap. I don't think NFL Europe existed when the PS2 was coming out. <laughs> Can I give a little more context on that before we kind of dive in on why I strongly disagree? All right. Albert is completely right. If if I'm I'm real like again, I'm not fully through the book, so I'm really going to try and not sound pretentious here like, "Oh, well, I read the book." <laughs> I saw this really funny meme of this guy like flipping through a book Speed like, reading it. like yeah, and he was like me reading Dune 30 minutes before I go see the movie so I can look down on everybody that hasn't <laughs> read the book yet. I'm really trying to not be that, but like the book is very different. Dune Mike. It's no longer Battlefield Mike. Battlefield friends. Mike. I'm yeah. Dune Mike. I'm on the Dune other Mike. end of the spectrum today. The book is broken up into three parts called part one, part two, and part three. Do you, you know what say. part one of the book is called? No. Dune. What is the movie called? Dune. Dune. This book, the What's movie- What's part two called? I actually don't know. I haven't gotten up to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> the movie wait, wait, is so only- So part one is literally the entire book. Like you hold in your hand yes. only part one. No, 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 no. The it's book not itself like the Bible like where you get the new pages. and Old Testament No, no, together. no. It has three parts in 600 pages. The okay. movie only does part one. So it's only like a third, a little bit more than a third of the movie. Okay. What I will say is that the movie or the book is- There are so many damn proper nouns in this book. Everything has a name. Everything has a backstory. The man is not afraid to explain to you everything. Like, And sometimes that can take pages. It is really hard to do that in a movie effectively and have it be coherent. Like, I just like think... And the thing I really liked about this movie was that there were not... It wasn't infinite expo dumps. Like Every criticism I feel like people have of Marvel trying to now bring in new things is that half of the movie is just exposition. The issue with this is that not only is it only tell part of a story, it can't even fully tell that part of the story because there is so much to tell. If they really followed that book, like word for word and included everything, it would be damn near unwatchable. I'm really not exaggerating. Yeah, and like, but that's I, true for most book to TV adaptations or book to movie adaptations. Like you can't and you shouldn't. It's a totally different medium and everything needs to be visual and like so the order of don't magnitude tell me, is right? different here. Yeah, I mean, like, it, the, it could have gone one of two ways. It's like, if they tried to really do everything and, like, bring in that, that whole first book from beginning to end, they would have had to cut out so much. The movie was two and a half hours, and they already had to cut out a lot. And that's just me hearing from people who have already seen, who have read the book and have now seen the movie. It really, and, like, I hear what Albert's saying, but I just really disagree because I don't think we could have got a good movie that also gave us a full resolution. I think this is going to be a movie that when we get part two and part three, we're really going to now appreciate part one more. Well, does that then, is that the argument then that they should have, like you said, maybe like when we were talking offline, that maybe they should have done a series like Game of Thrones where you get to, like, kind of live with these characters for a longer period of time? Would that have made more sense or is it not really lend itself to that either? I mean, in my opinion, just just in terms of Denis Villeneuve or whatever his name is, <laughs> just based on his vision okay. uh, and how he's executed the movie, I'm so glad it's a movie and not a TV series. It it just has such sweeping scale and, and sides of vision. It's just so great that 
I think it I think it can only come in this movie form. I you know, I really don't want to watch this on a small screen. Like mm-hmm. I the way that this movie works is that you're feeling it. You you feel the movie even though there's a lot of overhead in terms of the lore and the characters, and you're not really going to be able to follow all of it. And a lot of it is probably going to leave you with questions, but you still feel what's going on. You you feel the soundtrack, you feel the cinematography, and that's what's propelling you through the movie. And so in response to Albert, I'm going to kind of take a savant position and just say that, hey, man, the, the destination is not the real ultimate goal here. It's, the, it's about the journey. <laughs> it's totally about the journey on this movie. And, and I would say if you saw it on a big screen, the, where it says part one is actually quite large <laughs> on a screen. And so for me, that really couch expectations. I, I actually thought that the movie was going to end much sooner than when it did. Um, if we're going into spoiler territory, you know, I, yeah. you know, I thought once, once a uh, house, uh, Arades, if that's, is that the right Atreides. name? Atreides. If once house Atreides, this made me think of God of War. Once house Atreides gets <laughs> demolished in that sneak attack, I kind of thought we were going to close the movie then and there. Um, I, I didn't really think that we were going to get as far as we did. So, and, and, and that comes with knowing that it said part one, mm-hmm. uh, in the film, uh, and, and I still would have been satisfied, I think, ultimately. Yeah. I guess if it ended there, I mean, not that there just isn't a ton of growth at that point, right? Or change at that point, right? We haven't seen anybody really develop or have to like adapt to new situations. And so I think it's good that they went further. We're having to see Paul adapt to a different scenario and have to rebuild relationships with other people. And like, how does he react when like he's no longer within the cocoon of the the house, you know, uh, system with the protection that that affords. Um, all right. So Albert, you're wrong. That's what I heard. Uh, sorry, bud. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely um, not a four or five out of 10. I mean, come on. Come um, on. At, at least get some bonus points. That's for like the 80s intention. version of it, which like we're oh, not man, even going to get rough. into that one. I saw the YouTube that one, clips. That's rough. Oh, yeah. The shield scene. <laughs> Wait, Wait, the scene? Little boxes. Is um, Albert actually talking about the David Lynch version? <laughs> wow, <laughs> this is a different conversation now. <laughs> I um, I I I'm normally the person who likes it to have a nice, clean ending to like feel like we went somewhere, and I still felt like I wanted that out of this movie. But like you said, the sort of the the journey felt so great, and like the the relationships that you could see between the people and the like the work you had to do actually as a viewer to like piece things together was actually a little bit fun um for me to try and really figure out like what's happening here who are who are these people how are they related who's at play here um and then it just being so beautifully and the sound being so awesome um i i really did enjoy it even if you know it wasn't my favorite that it didn't have like a nice neat wrap up at the end um something i wanted to mention um and i think uh, it's okay if you guys will indulge me. I do think there has been a little bit of of criticism received by the movie and, and for the filmmakers, especially from like Muslim casting directors and the Muslim community. And I don't think this is everyone and they're not, you know, Islam and, and the Muslim community is not just some like everybody feels exactly the same way. Monolith. Um, yeah, they're not a monolith. Uh but but there's some some criticism for the movie for its sort of use of this vaguely or not even vaguely just this Islamic imagery, um, Arab imagery, sort of Middle Eastern imagery without casting any real or any notable um, Muslim actors within the story. Um, I think the story also has somewhat of this like white savior complex sort of happening here with like Paul being a white guy, Leto being a white guy, right? Like or being sort of cast as a white guy, at least in, you know, white mm-hmm. passing guy. Um, and. I do think it's a little bit more complex than just that. Um, and, and I don't think we should, as non-Muslims here, debate like whether that's a valid criticism or not. It, it just is something that's part of the movie. So, you know, for people who are tuning into the movie or maybe you're going to rewatch the movie, it is something to be aware of. Like, you know, is there cultural appropriation happening here? Is there some stereotyping here? And is there a chance for movie makers in the future to think about how they more sensitively or... Um, cast their movies and how they design their stories so that it actually doesn't just like take from cultures, but actually like sort of enhances it or enriches it or, um, you know, something along those lines. I think, you know, there's something there in this movie around that. Brian, you want to add something? 
Yeah, I would say in terms of in terms of the casting and whatnot, I, I think there there's a f- decent argument to be made about casting, you know, actual Arab actors or North African or Middle Eastern, whatever. Um, because the movie is actually very deliberately tapping into, you know, this Muslim aesthetic. Um, however, I'm trusting the filmmakers that they are aware of those issues, actually, and that casting more of a pan-brown kind of cast to to stand in for the for the Muslim world actually maybe might make more political sense. I mean, you know, right now it's it's way too heavily weighted to just kind of like black and some known uh, uh, non-white actors. Um, but I, I would say that, uh, you know, collectively they, they can make a maybe a stronger political point uh, and stronger social commentary by, you know, having sort of like an overall brown element uh, in the film. And, and in regards to the overt Muslim overtones of the film, uh, we kind of have to go back to Frank Herbert's original book and what his original intentions were. From what I've read is that Frank Herbert was uh, a pro- prolific journalist before he wrote this novel. And, you know, and writing this novel, he was specifically, or, or writing this series, he was specifically trying to comment and talk about uh, the Western world and and its dealings with the Arab world, right? And, and talking about Muslim countries that were just becoming liberated around that time that he wrote the book and and really trying to unpack all of all of that stuff that was happening. And so he's he's taking things directly from the real world and putting it into the the dune lore. So even even uh the name Iraqis, right? It sounds like Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. Um the Bene Gesserits sounds exactly like Jesuits, you know, like <laughs> like the order of Catholic priests. Um and the white savior thing from what I understand is that Frank Herbert really wanted to tackle the white savior trope um, because, because of its implications in, in, you know, social political history um, and our collective imagination. So I, I think there's, there's kind of more to happen in the Dune universe than just this one movie. And I'm willing to bet that it's going to pay off in the end. Uh, we, we just have to wait and see the, the part one that we're getting now is only, uh, you know, a first glimpse at the full picture. And so, yes, it, it is open to a lot of criticism um, that I, I'm hopeful will get addressed in the near future. Sounds good. Good job. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, now that we're in the spoiler section, the spice has been sort of publicly said like, hey, this is an analogy for like oil that existed Right in the Middle East, and how other countries are often trying to control those resources, um, and often the people that exist around those resources, and so that becomes pretty problematic in the real world setting. And so it's going to be reflected in its problem, you know, being a problem in in these um, stories. Can we like ground ourselves for a second in all the stuff that George Lucas stole? Justin, what Brian said. So <laughs> yeah. we have the Sand People, which are definitely are essentially the Fremen. We okay. have the Desert Planet, where it all takes place. Tatooine, and, you know, that's yep. where like the the Chosen One. Granted, that Paul's not from there. That's where he kind of comes to. How many moons li- does it have? Two moons. And when I saw that, I was like, are you kidding me? Two dude? suns, though. Um, that's different. Two and suns. then George literally just stole Spice. He couldn't even come up with another name for the material in the Star Wars world. He just took Spice. It's like, George, George, buddy, like, make an effort here. Like, they didn't have what I can't remember what it's called, but in college when you submit it, y'all probably didn't Plagiarism. have it. I know y'all were writing on typewriters or whatever. But um, when I was in college, you would submit a paper cursive. and it would, it would, like, a computer would check it for plagiarism. Like, they obviously didn't, oh, didn't have, have that, that when Star Wars was getting written because, like, just in what Brian said about one very small, like, point of the movie. We've already touched on like four different things. So we're just going to keep account as we're moving on of all the stuff we come across as Star Wars still. But George Lucas added droids. So it's totally different, Mike. And samurai? Yeah. What if we we took (laughs) the knights from Dune and turned them into samurai, but made the same movie? 
<laughs> What's up with everyone in Dune fighting with machetes, though? Oh, like, oh you, they, have you not read the books? No, of course not. I don't read. Oh, you got to read the books, dude. The, it's like, like there's a whole backstory they explain. There's this whole backstory they explain about like why they don't use computers either. Did you, did you notice that? They have like the ships, but nobody's like typing on computers like they do in Star Wars. And that's explained very thoroughly in the book. And yeah. you can't even possibly know that in the movie. No, but I like that you, they don't have to. It doesn't matter, right? Exactly. Like, it's like, it's just Which part of a, the world. That's how yeah. it exists. That's how the people live. And they make it work, right? Like, right. You don't All have the to question in the why world it's that way. Yeah. Great segue you, exactly. into our next question here. All right. So something that stood out to me was how the movie, like it didn't handhold you through the movie. It, it doesn't completely drop you into the deep end and is like, hey, good luck. Uh, but it doesn't give you a ton of backstory around every faction or about why everything works the way it works. It just like does. Like you just get thrown into it. The movie tells you or like shows you how things are progressing, shows you what's happening on a day to day basis. And the, the people just use the things like the shields. We talked about that. We'll talk about that in a second. The director just kind of shows you what each group was doing and saying in real time. It's kind of like, you know, in Thor Ragnarok, Hela comes in, but then they do all these flashbacks about how she was, like, invading worlds with um, with the one-eyed guy, Odin. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, how, like, all this stuff. Cyclops. And then they're like, oh, but look at this painting on the wall. And I mean, it's so much, like, backstory, right? And it kind of slows the movie down, but it tries to catch you up on, like, their relationship that exists and gives you a, a sense of their conflict already. But that doesn't happen here. Um, and, and I feel like I was not necessarily fully understanding the situation, um throughout the movie at least the first time i watched it but i also didn't feel like i was completely in the dark i thought they did enough to kind of get you a sense of like why things were the way they were enough to keep the story going um and and the story does become more clear as it goes on you get more a sense of like who this person is and like how they're related to the other people um you know like the baron like what's his deal how what's the bene Gesserit deal like and you get the sense of like oh these people are actually on slightly different factions even though they all like sort of work together and sort of work against each other how did you guys find the balance between like over explaining things and not explaining enough? I think this movie would tilt towards not explaining if it, if you know, I, I would say that uh, compared to most movies. Um, did you like that balance or did you feel like you needed a little more explanation as things went on? Brian, what are you thinking? I mean, I, I generally was following what was going on. I did have a hard time reconciling a few plot points uh, where I would have loved a little bit more explanation. Like, like what? Like, even just the fact that the Emperor was colluding uh, with the other house, uh, the one that had Drax in it. Uh, Harkonnen. I don't, yeah, Harkonnen, Harkonnen, whatever. Um, you know, j- just the fact that, you know, there are lines in reference to jealousy and stuff like that. and But then, you know, House Atreides was, was given this land. It it got a little it got a little bit muddied for me, and I, I wasn't entirely sure why these things were happening. And because you don't necessarily know the motivations, they they kind of hit a different way. You know, they you don't you don't feel the full impact of that sneak attack, um, though it is it is you know quite stunning in the way that it's carried out. Uh, you know, with the with the covert killing and the the betrayal and stuff yeah. like that. So that stuff was cool. So the Asian guy, the one Asian guy, happens to be the, the traitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah the like, man, oh, come Dr. on, man. UA, the Manchurian <laughs> candidate. Like, <laughs> is that what's going on here? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, but I will say that the saving grace is how everything was happening and how everything was unfolding. You mm-hmm. know, it, it just it had other hooks for you to really engage with the material uh, so that you could, you could kind of just forget about some of these motivations, some of the the reasonings behind all this stuff and just go along for the ride. And, and that's, that's in a lot of ways, that's how I experienced the movie, but I did spend a lot of time also thinking back about what just happened. And like, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to flag that in my mind and, and ask everybody I know about what the <laughs> hell just happened. I think a good example of where they sort of just throw you in is like the scene um, where the Reverend Mother comes and tests Paul. You don't know mm-hmm. who the Bene Gesserit are. You understand there's some kind of religious thing. Um, but they show you the extent of their powers. This lady puts his hand in a box and the dude is just like in a severe amount of pain. She's very clearly got a lot of power. Uh, like she commands him to come to, the, to her, her feet 
and he just like blacks out and then is all of a sudden there, right? Like he has lost control over his function and she's sort of like controlling his actions in that moment. And so you're like, oh, okay. So these ladies are Jedi mind tricking people, right? And they're able to like do all these Another things. Another thing Locust stole. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bing. And, <laughs> and so I do. <laughs> what? Why do you Did have you, that? Do you just have a wait a waiter bell? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Are you running a bed and breakfast now? Yeah, what's happening? That explains Anna, the stained glass. Dry cleaners. Anna has it, and she rings it anytime she's at work and someone does something dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so she leads by ridicule and embarrassment. Got it? That's her leadership. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Welcome to corporate healthcare in the United States of A. <laughs> um, I just, it, I, I think that those were, now I lost it, whatever, it's cool. Um. There were a lot of also just like small moments. Like we talked about how they showed the shields. They did explain it, which I actually didn't think they needed to do. I think it was very clear why, when it turned red, it was because they were close up and it like they went slow enough to penetrate it. They then mm-hmm. expositioned it much more mm-hmm. clearly after that. But yeah. I thought that was really clear and they could have done without it. So like, yeah, I mean, I think there's just lots of instances where they just did a good job of showing what the power was or they showed what the relationship was or the, yeah. the like the uh, vitriol in their voice or whatever and all of that made it clear like who these people were like you know the Baron is a survivor like this dude is like comatose like there's no way he should be able to do anything and live like he's super vulnerable and yet A he's got all these people doing his bidding he's got this anti-grav suit or something that like lifts him up right so he doesn't have to be actually like able to move and then B he's the only one that survives this gas attack right this he also lives survivor. in like the back to tank thing yeah and he's <laughs> This t- <laughs> this dude is a survivor, right? And you know that from the movie. I don't need to read the books to know that this dude is like, he's a cockroach. He's going to survive no matter what, right? And he's going to be like the thorn in everybody's side. Anyways, Mike, what do you think? Overexplained, underexplained? I right think it balance? hit it perfectly. I mean, like, I I don't know anything that goes into making a movie, but like, it must be so hard to tell a compelling story this deep with walking that line between too many expo dumps like a Marvel movie and just being like completely like um, opaque and like not really like under letting people understand what is going on. Like the Bene Gesserit scene with the Reverend Mother in the box, that's the first scene in the book. Mm. The next scene essentially is when he goes and does the training. Those both have a lot more exposition in the book and a lot of what like happens in the book and how the characters develop is through internal mo- dialogue that is like notated in the book with italics. They just don't do that in the book. Like imagine if you heard like him like Paul's like inner voice like talking, right? Like that would take away from so much of it. So they can really only do it like let you learn about this world through the dialogue and it's very hard to do that in a way that's like can keep up the slow burn like to me the movie besides the giant scenes it really had like this slow burn that was paired with the hand zimmer music and it's so hard to walk that line between handholdy dialogue exposition dumps and telling a great story i think like brian your original point is a really good kind of example of a difference between the book and the movie and why they kind of make each other better I felt the like, uh, and I'm referring to kind of the idea of like, well, why is Atreides going there? Like, they know they're kind of going to get screwed over, but they're still going, all that type of stuff. What I left the movie understanding was that, okay, everybody really likes the Duke and House Atreides. Like, they're really building up some um, support, almost like um, Ned Stark in the beginning of Game of Thrones, right? The Emperor steals that from... I'm not steals that. George Lucas steals the emperor from that. The emperor views that as a threat, right? Like, I can't have people liking him. I need to get rid of him. So what the deal he makes is he takes the Harkonnens away from um, Dune, and then he says, okay, you now need to go take care of that. Essentially setting them up for failure and allowing them to be attacked by the Harkonnens. Because what they make a point to say in the beginning of the movie is that we have air power and sea power here. We need to develop desert power there to defend ourselves. So they get there. The Harkonnens did not set them up for success. We see they took all the different silos and things like that. They essentially left them to be screwed over and then they get attacked. We don't really know much else besides that from the movie. Like there's some 
exposition there to understand that dynamic. What the book does is it explains a lot more. There's a whole corporation that kind of rules over all the commerce throughout the planets and things like that. Um, there's a spacing guild that's hugely important with space travel and things like that. It all the whole book really comes down to economics in a way that's very similar to Phantom of the Menace. Um, <laughs> so it's like a lot of like the very nitty gritty. <laughs> that's definitely not the name of the movie. Star Wars the, fan. <laughs> the very like nitty gritty political economics of what leads Phantom the Harkonnens to to um, collude with the Emperor to take down House, House Atreides. You just can't understand in the movie. But the thing is. They go so well together in a way that I don't know if another book and movie pairing really works because now that I'm reading the book, I get this really great exposition. But it's like my maybe my imagination's terrible for the hours and hours of screen time, but like reading things, like especially when it's like this crazy sci-fi stuff, like the shield and that kind of stuff, I really can't get an image in my head. But now that I'm reading it after seeing the movie, I have these like great images of what everything looks like with the great exposition and solid world building and really high level of depth there. So to like sum it all up, I think they both almost exist independently, but make each other a lot better. So I think like reading the book is something I'd really recommend if you like the movie, but like, yeah, you're, you're essentially both shaking your heads, but like with a movie, like it has to walk that line. Like it can't be a good film, quote unquote, if it's doing like a Shang-Chi Eternals expo dump for an hour. And doing that well is particularly hard given the source material. The fire, the nerd fire in Mike's eyes in explaining all of the economics and backstories. I love it. You, you have, you're, you're totally reminding me of Will Katz on FIFA right now. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. And then, and then this body and this organization, they interact together and it, it lays Imagine the me and Katz wow. as freshman year roommates. Like that was just it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really comes down to it's I, I, I this comment makes less sense in retrospect given that you haven't read the book but like what we were talking about earlier when I, like we were talking about the Boba Fett trailer y'all were kind of cold on it and I was like I kind of hold Star Wars to a different level now now that like there's I understand like w- how sci-fi can be built with that level of depth and you were like you know that's Dune compared to most sci-fi I don't understand where that was coming. Were you referring to the David Lynch movie? Were you just referring to this movie? I wasn't talking about Dune related to any sci-fi. I was talking about sci-fi related to Star Star Wars. Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. All right. There we go. Confidently wrong there. We're not going to just blatantly insult Star Wars, but that's a conversation for another time. I still love Star Wars, even the last trilogy. Um. (laughs) Don't, Don't do that. All right. Uh, let's start wrapping up here. We got, we've been going for a little bit of time here and I think people are probably like, God, shut up guys. Like we get it. The movie is beautiful. Um, I watched the movie twice on the second watch. Uh, I was able to focus a lot more on like some of the details. I had to spend less time like piecing together the story, um, and, and got to kind of notice some of the things visually that I hadn't gotten the first time. Um, for instance, the solder car, they're the like the elite warriors that the emperor kind of commands. Um, there's a small scene where they're getting ready um, uh, to for, to go into battle, and they kind of get like blessed with some kind of like blood mark on their face. Yeah, Ash you know, Wednesday. Yeah, it's very very uh, like crusaders very Catholic. Catholic crusader. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and probably a little bit like Lord of the Rings, like orky. You know, like they get kind of painted up. The white hand of Saruman. <laughs> uh, Saruman or Sauron? Sauron. Sorry, well, one of them. Okay. One of the SARS. One of them, um, and that's why they're Sarcar. Sarcar. Oh my maybe? god! All right. Oh, <laughs> not uh, Star Wars, but it counts. <laughs> so right before that, though, right before you see them do that, there's a big, like, wide shot of like all these people kind of gathering on this plane or whatever at the base of the I don't, what something base of the temple. And actually, you kind of notice at the very bottom, there's these like victims or people being like held upside down and like strapped down to these pedestals. Um, and at their at below them is actually a pool that's like kind of reddish and tinged with like water and blood or something like that. And 
you know, it, it becomes on the second watch, you're like, oh, they're like sacrificing these people in order to like give these people strength or blessings or whatever. And so like that must be part of their religion or their like superstition. Um, Whoa. They didn't have that. to explain it. It's just like, you, yeah. You all missed that? Thing. What is wrong I with you? It was that. a giant wide shot of a bunch of people strung up by their ankles, bleeding out into a... But they were a, just at the bottom My row. eyes were pressed up against Jeez, the screen. Guys, I couldn't those, make it those out. Those bodies were like 10 foot tall each. It's a movie. No. Well, I'm watching on oh, a 55 inch screen. Boys. But anyways... I mean, but it's it's a it's like, pretty oh, quick scene. I wonder scene. what is that? Like, why, no. are they doing Pilates? No, but it looks like they're just like lining up in ranks for battle, like the clone troopers. Before no, they but go they had a line. whole wide shot of that cool blood draining thing. Wow, I missed it the first time. You both, the second Brian, time. were you on your phone? I I was trying to figure out what happened in the scene before. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, stuff like that. Was there anything like that that you guys saw that were small details? You thought like, oh, that was like a really cool thing they did. It wasn't necessarily the most important thing, but something that just kind of added to the the flavor of the movie. No, kind of no, because it's just like I, you know. I say this all the time when people are like, oh, well, you re- why do you like Star Wars and Marvel and all that? I'm like, my life is like, I got enough going on in my head all day. It's nice to be able to turn my brain off um, and enjoy the- this kind of dumb media. This, as much as it's kind of tangential to that, I had to stay focused the whole time. I really had a pee. Like, I chugged the giant Coke Zero. <laughs> Um, I feel like I've talked about this. Yeah, this is the second time you've said you've done that. Yeah, you think I'd learn. And I really had to pee. And like some people have a skill of knowing when to go pee in a movie. So like I'll like sit and I'll be like, all right, I should go. No, no, I need to watch the scene. And at the end of the scene, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't go pee. I would have missed something. Every scene in the movie was like that. So it was like there was not small things I missed because like I was just trying to take it all in. And when I did go to pee was the start of the damn Harkonnen invasion. I came in and I was like, why is the Duke on the ground? And I was like, oh, my God. See, like that's the thing. There's just just so much going on here. It's impossible to leave it all, which I think is a good sign of how much there is to take in. Given that. It's hard to be aware if I miss small things because I was really having to pay attention very hard. All right. Fair enough. I got to imagine you missed some things while you're thinking about peeing. There's no way that you caught the entirety <laughs> of what was going on without being like, oops, a little bit I, just came out. I was out. like mentally exhausted after. It was like <laughs> I really had to focus. But like I, I knew it. You know, I knew I love world building. I'm always just on my damn phone watching stuff. And I was like, I'm going to commit to this. Now, did I maybe miss some stuff? Probably, yeah. Thing is, it's kind of hard to remember the movie now that I'm reading the book because it's like everything's starting to blur together and the book is so expo-heavy, especially in the beginning. It's kind of just like overtaken my idea of what Dune is. It sounds like when I tried to read Lord of the Rings after The Fellowship came out and it was just way too much exposition (laughs) that I just could not handle it. Um, but I will say this in regards to your question, Wes, um, I think overall there's just lots of fun design choices, like the, the, the thopters, the things that look like dragonflies, the, the, how the shields work was, was really cool. Uh, you know, the, the tooth that the Duke bites into to poison everybody in the room, the, the Bene Gesserit's abilities, all of that stuff was like very interesting. It, it felt it felt su- surprisingly fresh in some ways. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it was just eye-catching. However, I will say a drawback from the movie, though, despite all of that, was that because it seems like Dune is the source material for a lot of sci-fi that I never realized, but I had ne- we're not seeing Dune until 2021, Dune is the one that ends up feeling a little bit derivative in the end. Like I, I couldn't help watching it and be like, oh my God, this is like Game of Thrones. Oh my God, this is like Star Wars. Oh my God, this is like these other things. Oh my God, Drax is in here. Poe Dameron is in here. Like Aquaman is here. Like all of that was kind of going through my head as this stuff was happening. Oh yeah, Thanos is in there. And you know, it, and it's just like, oh, this reminds me of this thing or that other thing. And and because of that, I was taken out of the movie a number of times just because I, you know, I just couldn't help but think about it. And it was like, yeah, sure. maybe Sean Bean should have been cast as the Duke <laughs> of Atreides. Like that would have been really good. I, <laughs> that would have been really good. 
I mean, yeah. it, like he's got to complete the trifecta, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before we wrap up, did anything else catch your eye or any like last thoughts you had on the movie? It's funny that like Zendaya was so big in the marketing and like she the kind of small. like build up to the movie. Mary Jane. She, Mary Jane. She's essentially like not in the movie. Like it's just like hallucinations of her. So. She enjoyed that role in part two. You know what caught my eye? I know he gets memed a lot. He's like an SNL, like, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Gen Z thing. Timothy Chalamet can act like a motherfucker. We're going to bleep right at the end. That man, he was so good. And apparently I was reading today that Denny Villeneuve or whatever didn't even like audition people. He like cast, he like wrote it with Timothy Chalamet in mind. So that was a hard role it's like that could have seemed very dramatic and like self-important and like hayden christensen-esque um but i thought he really crushed it it. that was one of my favorite parts of that movie was that he was such a compelling protagonist he was he was i think like throughout he's pretty strong he really won me over in that bene jesuit uh interrogation scene or whatever that was and like we don't even see what exactly that book is doing to him, but we feel what's happening to him, right? Um, I will say though, he he still strikes me as like a like a strange guy. Like I, you know, I, I I wouldn't relate to him. I guess we're not really supposed to relate to him, but he does still seem like a non-human to some degree, but not a non-human the way Hayden Christensen was. But a non-human, just like wow, I I don't know what these what this person is like in in this universe, but I trust his experience and what he's going through is compelling. Still the same, um, so that, that's kind of like a I guess uh, an ambivalent take on on his performance there. Like you don't get a sense of you don't get a sense of like what his like personality was like, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe he's just kind of a blank personality a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he he is kind of blank, but yet he's rife with emotion at the same time. Yeah, it's sound like anybody kind of you all have heard in other <laughs> popular sci-fi fantasy media. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is that he, my understanding of him in the books is he's not supposed to be particularly like amazingly likable and unimpeachable like messiah, um, and that he is supposed to be kind of a complex character as it were i think it will get even more complicated in the subsequent chapters and i am so ready <laughs> okay i got two small things that were like nice details that i picked out on when i was watching it one the two jobs like professions that we saw had um or two of the professions that we saw had like very clear markings the mentats who are the people that are like they can calculate things really quickly. They um, both had this like black tattoo on the middle of their lip. So the Harkonnen house had one and the Atreides house had one. Um, and both of them had that like uh, black tattoo on their lip. And then when they were calculating, their eyes kind of flipped up, right? And then the doctor, um, Dr. Yue, had a diamond on his forehead. And when mm-hmm. he, the, they found the note in the, the pack um, that was from Dr. Yue that had the ring in it, that that little scroll had the diamond imprint on it. So you knew it was from Dr. Yue. So there's sort of like a profession has certain symbols that go with it. And then the other symbol that was kind of neat or that kept showing up the motif of the bull's head or the bull. And the bull is represents sort of death for House Atreides because I guess, and this is again from the book, the grandfather Leto's dad um, was killed in, they kept saying like, "Oh, your dad likes your grandpa liked to fight bulls." Well, he was killed in uh, a you know a, a bullfighting accident or whatever, and so that um, that little figurine that's on his desk showing the bullfighting right is him confronting that aspect of his mortality. The bull's head on the the doorway is shown before Leto dies, um, and it's like kind of overlooking them. So there's sort of these like ominous under overtones that happen because of like the impending things that are coming. So I thought that was cool. They they, ex- they explain both of those careers a lot more thoroughly in the book. Mm. Just another thing, the Mentats, if y'all remember in episode five in Cloud City, Lando Calrissian has that sidekick guy with the computer built in his brain. So <laughs> I don't remember. 
Awesome. You know, Wes, everything you just described is basically you saying you love lore and world building. <laughs> you have arrived, Welcome Wesley. to the family. Dang it. Mike got me eventually. It only took two years. It only took two years. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap up there. Uh, you can visit us on our socials at confidently underscore pod, especially on Instagram. We're definitely more active there. Leave us a comment. How did you like the movie? Um, are you going to go see it? Did you enjoy the theater aspect of what didn't you like about it? Is Albert wrong or really wrong here? Uh, let us know. Visit all of our sponsors. Maybe we'll have some real sponsors one day, but for now, just visit our fake ones. Comfy.com has been a long time fake sponsor of our show. Uh, Mike doesn't wear his comfy anymore, so I don't know. Maybe they're it's not getting cold him. in New Orleans, baby. It's almost <laughs> comfy weather. Comfy season. <laughs> all right, friends, we are out. I forgot to mention I got my uh, my booster shot yesterday, and I'm feeling like I drank a million tequila shots last night. So oh, damn. Might be slightly less acerbic than yesterday, but I've also been watching Seinfeld all day, so I think that'll have rubbed off on me. So Did you take today be... off like a good good little no. uh, patient? No. My, my, no. my oh, team f- is falling apart, so God forbid I'm capitalist. sick. Right. Hey, if you throw up in the middle of this recording, I mean, That'd that's be pretty, pretty sick, entertaining. Right? That's pretty funny. We can Just make that into the, the headline. Make sure you I'm hold down the microphone up to it. We want to hear the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to trail off with my. I want to hear the splash. Retching. I want to hear the splash, bro. <laughs> Gross.